All right. I'm here today with Gene Epstein, a longtime friend. He uh, was the uh, books editor of the Econ and Books editor of Barron's. Um, he now runs the Soho Forum. Welcome to the show. Uh, Brittany, it's uh, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege to be with a, a woman, young woman I've admired for so many years. We used to, we knew each other back in New York City. You moved to the West Coast. We lost touch a little bit. I managed to visit you a bit. And now I see that you run a wonderful podcast and I'm honored to appear on it for the first time. I, I was economics and books editor at Barron's and now I run The Soul Forum. And you just mentioned it because you think, well, everybody knows what The Soul Forum <laughs> is, but I'll clarify it for a few. It it is a monthly debate series, and we like to highlight debate topics of interest to libertarians. Um, if you go on uh, our uh, our podcast, uh, the Soul Form Debates Podcast, the Soul Form Debates Podcast, then you can listen to more than fifty debates that we've done since the since the fall of twenty sixteen of interest to libertarians, including six that I have done. Uh, and uh, we uh, we are now have another debate coming up that will be via Zoom on presidential power. That's going to be in a week or so. And in addition, there will be a debate uh, that uh, in uh, the uh, the villages, Florida, where we will have an in-person physical meeting debate. Uh, and that will be a debate on socialism versus capitalism that uh, uh, which I will participate in myself. We do one-on-one -on -one debates uh, because we think that's the best format. But again, go on the Soul Form Debates podcast to listen to all of our more than 50 debates. So now that that's established, let's take it away with whatever is on yeah, your Yeah, well, let me just ask you quickly, um, do you have dates for those two upcoming debates? Because I can, um, if you get to mention those. Let's see, one is April 18th, that okay. I know of. That's going to be a Sunday matinee on April 18th. And uh, the other one, I guess, is next. It's a week from Wednesday. So so figure it out for me. Let's see. That's tomorrow is the 9th. So that's going to be on the 16th. That's going to be the evening of, uh, of March, March 16th. 16th. Okay. And if you go on, go on the Soul Forum, uh, org, the Soul Forum org you can register that's free to participate uh through via zoom and uh if you do that you get to vote we do oxford style voting just yeah. to get, add a little spice to the evening oxford style voting is uh, i'm sure you know is a before and after vote you vote vote yes no or undecided on the resolution before the debate begins and then you vote yes no or undecided on the resolution after the debate ends and technically whoever moves the needle in his or her favor wins the debate, quote unquote, uh, that just adds a little drama to the evening. Nice. And so that's the way we work it. But again, thanks for asking me about the dates. Again, yeah, that's and I will link to that also in the show notes. I'll, I'll put that's a link. In. So yes. Yeah, so let's, let's dive into sure. the sure. topic for today, which is yeah. the economy. Oh yeah. So I wanted to go back in time a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote, this is something I wrote right after Obama was elected for the first mm -hmm. time. I wrote yeah. this this letter to my pro-Obama friends and I made yeah. all these predictions about how his his, peri his period in power wasn't gonna be much different from the Republicans, how he was gonna be just as warmongering, just as bad on civil liberties, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One thing that I said, and this is actually, this is embarrassing now because I got, I got everything else right, I got this one wrong. So what I, I predicted was because this was the time right after the, the financial industry bailouts and the stimulus packages. 
And I remember looking at, um, there was this one graph in particular from the St. Louis Federal Reserve mm-hmm. and showing um, all of the excess money being being poured into the banking system. Yeah. And I looked at that and I said, well, my God, we're going to have massive inflation. And I predicted that, you know, it sounds cra- a little bit crazy now, but mm-hmm. I predicted the dollar would lose at least 50% of its value against most goods and services mm-hmm. during Obama's, I think I said first term. Yeah, first term. Yeah. Um, and I got that wrong, obviously. So mm-hmm. my question, looking back and looking at where we are now, was I wrong in principle or was I just wrong on the timing? I would actually say you were wrong both in principle and on the timing, and I'll try to explain why. But first of all, I want to commend you on holding your own feet to the fire about your own forecast. I actually do remember reading that uh, essay and uh, and admiring you for it. Uh, And uh, you were indeed, I want to emphasize, right on all of the other things that in a way were the most important. You know, Obama was in certain ways uh, worse than his predecessors. Uh, and uh, uh, certainly, uh, but we don't have to dwell on that, I guess, because I'm supposed to be talking about the economy. But getting to the point about uh, uh, making it tough on you, Brittany, about that particular forecast is only to say uh, the following, that uh, that I think that we Austrians, we free market types, we libertarians, uh, tend to focus uh, too much on uh, on what the government does and what the Fed does and all the ways in which it potentially wrecks the economy. Uh, and uh, we ignore the fact that, uh, tend to ignore the fact that uh, there, uh, there are always legitimate entre- entrepreneurial uh, uh, ventures in the economy. There, there are, the, the, the U.S. economy is not a total creature of crony capitalism. It's not simply an arm of the Federal Reserve, that, that there is legitimate animal, I'll use the word animal spirits, even though animal spirits has been has been a disparaging term yeah. used by Joan Robinson and John Maynard Keynes. Uh, I think those animal spirits are very nice. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, therefore, uh, we do see that there is legitimate economic growth, economic progress being made. Uh, And my framework is that uh, we had 2% growth under Obama, and uh, actually 2% growth under Trump, by the way, uh, about the same in both cases, a little over 2% in both cases. Uh, And 2% actually uh, was a legitimate figure. It does compound to something. And uh, I've uh, I've occasionally been very appalled by some of my other free market colleagues, some of whom are pretty well known, who even look at this economic growth and they don't perceive that progress was made. They they start to, to slice and dice the numbers and they don't acknowledge that standards of living did improve, uh, that uh, that progress did occur, uh, and, uh, and that it's because we do have a fair amount of legitimate free market energy in this U.S. economy still left. So I, I, I say you were wrong in principle in that sense because you didn't allow for the possibility that uh, 
that the energy of the U.S. economy uh, was going to be sufficient to sustain 2% growth. But I'm, my own figure that I admittedly I brought out of the air because it leads to a round number is to say that if we really had a free market, a free market, which of course would mean that not necessarily, of course, because I guess you're an ANCAP, but let's say that you're just a, 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 a limited government person, uh, that if we had a limited government, uh, I like to say limited government because I think we get into too many arguments with uh, with, with progressives when we insist on anarchism. Uh, but if we say limited government, you know, it's just uh, governments are instituted among men to, to secure our rights, then we would have a, I think, 7% growth sustained every year more or less 7% growth, and 7% growth compounds to a doubling of output uh, every 10 years. Uh, and so that's really would be the norm. And so in that sense, uh, we, 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 we suffered a five percentage point haircut each year under Obama, as we did under Trump. Uh, uh, so uh, we we lose perspective then on on the real potential of the free market, and so when we say that two percent growth was an achievement, we have to compare it with uh, with with what could be possible if all of that all of the creative energy that's put out just to get around the the rules of government, all those brilliant lawyers who figure out loopholes in our taxes, all those bureaucrats, some of whom actually could do an honest day's work if they actually were given something legitimate to do right. would be working. All of that good stuff would happen. The entrepreneurial energy of poor people would be there. Uh, I'll elaborate even further. Uh, we, we'd have school that would uh, maybe last till you're 13. Then we'd have the bar mitzvah plan. You can then, <laughs> then, then apprentice yourself to various businesses, become yeah. a lawyer by the time you're 15, become a surgeon by the time you're 20. I, I'm just talking about professions that are known. We right. can unleash all, the, all of the creative energy of entrepreneurs we let even more immigrants in to protect to to uh, to produce uh, entrepreneurial ventures since uh, immigrants immigrants account for like double the rate of new businesses as compared to to uh, to the native born. All of that good stuff would happen. So uh, I'm uh, I'm being a little bit long winded to say that uh, that that's really uh, the uh, the measure against which I would judge the two percent growth that we had. Under Obama, but you're saying, but you're saying that that two percent was legitimate growth. That- yeah, well, I I think, but if you if you look at, I mean, I I, I could review all of the numbers. No, no, I, that's I, okay. I, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm not going to do that. But what I mean to say is that uh, is that um, I I I read some appalling analysis on the part of some people who are who who get a lot of attention, who are for the most part my free market comrades. They slice and dice numbers and they find just bizarre things. I mean, state. Mm-hmm. It's like we had no growth at all. Uh, that mm. I mean, we, we have so many numbers that 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 verify it, independent of the official numbers the BEA keeps. We know we have numbers about employment, numbers about employment, for example, that are kept uh, by, uh, by by this quirk of the law by the uh, unemployment insurance claims figures. Because mm-hmm. because ninety eight percent of business register under unemployment insurance claims. I, I mean, I, I don't want to drag us through all the numbers, but I I don't know if there's some skeptics out there. Who who read and follow some of the other free market people? I won't mention them because because I'll be putting them down, and it's unfair to debate them in absentia. But mm-hmm. uh, we did have uh, we we did have progress. And by the way, another uh, 
a way in which I guess I'm completely persona non grata among my free market friends, maybe including with you, uh, Brittany, is that I believe that the official price indexes overstate price inflation. I mean, really? I should, yes, they overstate price inflation in terms of the prices that they're measuring, consumer prices, um, right? And so on. and 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 it's basically by and large that these they can that that these are bureaucrats trying to follow uh trying to follow the entrepreneurial economy i'm i use i'll use one uh one example of the consumer price index screwing up uh or, or the official price index is screwing up they didn't know what to do about smartphones mm. they, they, mm. they, they completely they they completely screwed up on on the smartphone they 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 didn't recognize that if the smartphone replaces a flashlight a calculator that <laughs> that does all of these. It it it, it meant nothing to them. It they, never basically, existed before. they basically assumed that a smartphone was was like a typical sort of clip on clip phone. The smartphone revolution happened in about eighteen months, and and the way in which it sort of altered our behavior. I don't own a watch anymore, uh, and I uh, and I'm I usually old farts still hold on to their watches. Uh, I I don't need a watch anymore. I don't need a calculator anymore. All of those things. So they missed out on that particular revolution. They missed out on the Walmart revolution. The way in which prices were cut. They missed out on the Amazon revolution. They, they, their, their, their bureaucratic ways of doing things consistently understate price inflation. And by the way, they have a, a certain, uh, excuse me, I said over, I said understate, overstate price overstate. inflation, overstate price inflation. So uh, I'm dwelling on that only because I guess I want uh, my uh, credentials clear to my free market friends. Obviously, Obviously, there is asset inflation, uh, asset inflation having to do with stocks and bonds and real estate uh, that is not measured in the price indexes, uh, the mm -hmm. conventional price indexes, and that's important. Uh, but uh, but price inflation, is, it, it, I think, is is measured and it's and it's overstated. They, they miss out. They miss out on they, they, they Take 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 what it costs to go to college. Uh, now, mm. obviously, that's through the roof, and of course, it's ridiculous. You you're paying for virtually nothing. You're just signaling the fact that you that worse you have than nothing, according to some people. I worse than nothing, according to me. By the way, absolutely, yeah. It's, yeah. it's 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 time out of your life. I, I was, I have to tell a grand uh, story about my grandson. You know, I, I'm I'm talking to my 13 year old grandson who who hates certain classes. I said, "Well, just try to daydream," and he and and he responded, "That's 55 minutes out of my life that I'll never get back." And and that's and of course it's worse than nothing, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and yeah. uh, so, uh, but but uh, but I meant to say technically that uh, we that what happened with the with the colleges and universities is that they they raised the price to the moon, but that's the Sticker price, and mm -hmm. and the and then and then they started to give you know out so to speak financial aid. Right. So only the very rich pay the sticker price, and so but but obviously the CPI uh, tracks the sticker price and doesn't right. track the fact right. it's way too much to do. So I'm just giving you that as an example, just to establish my my credibility that that uh, that the conventional price index is overstated inflation. Okay, but 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 as far as the the CPI, isn't the yes. bigger issue that yes. it has cut out things like fuel and food and things like that, that it's cut out a lot of these. Oh. No, no. Well, no, it, it includes everything in, in, in well, just moment, I think I, I, th I know what you're referring to. What am I referring to? Yes. Referring please. to something, something that, that the tenured economists call the core CPI. 
Uh-huh. Okay. The the core CPI, uh, uh, which uh, is misnamed, it should be called the trend CPI. The core CPI uh, cuts out uh, energy and food. Okay. And and it and it just tracks. It it, it takes the CPI, which includes energy and food. And okay. by the way, when uh, when when uh, when the CPI is used to adjust, uh, for example, Social Security payments, or when the CPI, by the way, is still used to adjust union agreements, uh, uh, alimony agreements, uh, although that's called the maintenance, I guess, these days. Uh, lots of things are, t- are tied to the CPI. It, it, the energy and food are included in all of those particular measures. But okay. uh, but the so-called core CPI, uh, again, misnamed because what could be more core than food and energy? Right. It should actually be called the trend CPI. It, okay. it, it's only a statistical artifact which arises from the fact that energy and food are extremely volatile in price. Uh, And so if you actually track the so-called, I'll call it the trend CPI for the moment, which excludes food and energy. And if you compare it with the the headline CPI, which includes food and energy, then you find over any five to 10 year period that the two are about the same over over mm, over okay. that period of time but within about a two or three year period of time you find that the trend cpi is a little bit more accurately reflecting the long term trend because it cuts out those two volatile elements as a matter of fact uh, you you often find periods when uh, the uh, and it that happened last year in fact when the price of oil collapsed uh, and uh, then the the uh, the headline CPI was negative. It was and uh, but the core CPI was running at around you know one to two percent. So the, I, I'm calling it the core again because that's what they call it. So uh, it's only a statistical artifact to sort of measure the trend, the so-called trend. And it, and in fact, it's a relatively accurate tool with which to do so. Uh, and so that's, I, I, so really you're just talking about a technical matter. Well, I mentioned inflation, but I want to get back to the broader framework of yeah. where uh, that, that you opened up, which is your forecast, your wrong call. Yeah. And uh, again, we should have more honest forecasters such as yourself. You hold your own feet to the fire. Uh, uh, your wrong call uh, about uh the uh, the prospects for the economy under Obama and then later on actually under Trump uh, it uh, we we had two percent a year and uh, and it's verified in many ways that two percent a year does compound to something it was economic progress for the broad masses of people and by the way all of the numbers mostly put put out by progressives but I think a lot of our colleagues on the free market believe them as well all of the numbers show overwhelmingly that all income classes, anybody who had a job, that is, and many people did have jobs, that workers at the bottom, workers in the middle, uh, pretty much participated in the economic progress. Uh, There's a whole slew of numbers that that argue otherwise, and every single one of them is mistaken. Every single one of them, including Mm -hmm. the labor share figure, I don't know if you've encountered that, that's mistaken. They're all mistaken. And of course, partly mistaken, in fact, because there's a tendency to use the CPI, which is actually unreliable in different ways. Uh, The CPI has never, uh, well, I could get into that, but let me not get into that. Let me avoid that particular technicality. I'll make that assertion, just that all progress was made. Uh, Progress on all levels was made 
by the working class. There was nothing especially new about the ways in which a progressing uh, economy uh, shares its progress with all levels of people in who work in the economy. So all of those, all of that relatively good stuff happened. It was at 2% a year. It should have been at 7%. But getting back though to the idea about timing, uh, you, you, you were wrong on the timing, true. Uh, but we know that uh, that sooner or later, sometimes you know, sooner rather than later, if if uh, if if the Federal Reserve keeps printing money, maintains interest rates at below the level of conventionally measured price inflation, we know that there will be uh, hell to pay sooner or later. And uh, but it could be delayed for a long time. We again because we find uh, lots of healthy developments in the economy. I and and I think that to some degree some Austrian type business cycles are adjusted for by the economy. I think we we face a very complex situation. Oh yeah, with respect to inflation, you said uh, I, I guess I should put a finer point on that because you said that you predicted uh, you you thought there would be accelerating price inflation even even yeah. according to the conventional measures you thought that would happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I I think that um that that uh, that what really happened is that uh, in a free market, in a freer market, if 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 the Federal Reserve had not been printing so much money, we would have had uh, uh, prices, uh, the price indexes falling by about three mm. percent a year. But mm-hmm. Really, that's the kind that that's the inflation we actually did get. We we got two percent price inflation, uh, give or take one to two percent, when in fact uh, uh, that the, the market was really uh, telling us that you, we would have gotten uh, under more quote-unquote normal circumstances about a three percent decline in prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's uh, because of a lot of things, uh, I think, because, because while the printing of money is one important factor in determining price inflation, I think we tend to ignore the supply side and this the supplies in on the supply side at least two things uh, were happening three things i should say uh, the, the first thing is that is that for a price inflation to take off it generally it, it generally has to start from a very low unemployment rate from a relatively tight labor market and we were starting under obama from a very high unemployment rate with a fair amount of of surplus labor and uh, and and uh, the most important price in the economy is the price of labor and the price of labor in the aggregate begins to take off when the unemployment rate declines but then once we did have a lower unemployment rate there were two other reasons why we had i say i would say a price inflation of about 5% because i'm taking negative 3 to about positive 2 so mm-hmm. we did have a price inflation but we didn't have something really runaway and right. the reason for that is that uh, we had two other things happening, I think, on the supply side. First of all, we had a continued revolution in discounting on, on the part of business. We not we had the Walmart effect, and then and then we had the Amazon effect, which mm-hmm. which, uh, mm-hmm. which I think brought prices down, and it was I think it's an important force. And then the, the third reason uh, of a factor that I that that began in the '90s, which I think has not even yet played itself out. And it's a real question mark, which is. Uh, cheap labor abroad the the end of the cold mm-hmm. war 
uh, has has meant that uh, multinationals now employ uh, people in China, uh, in India. Uh, India, of course, was not uh, there was no iron curtain uh, uh, protecting India. But that move to 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 places like China, to the Soviet Union, to to other former communist provinces, has meant that about a you know about a billion people are available and eager to work to produce goods for the American market. And that's, in a way, part of the Walmartization of the economy, that essentially, uh, uh, mm-hmm. to oversimplify, it's Chinese workers who are benefiting uh, more than ever. Uh, they're, they're, they've climbed out of one and two and grinding one and two dollar a day poverty, and they're right. producing cheap goods for relatively poor people, the lower half of the population who right. patronize Walmart. All very good stuff, you know, great things that happened in the economy that you and I should celebrate. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, and and by the way, when you when you talk right. about the Chinese climbing out of poverty, because yeah. I know some people will listen to this and say, oh, they're being exploited, they're working in sweatshops. Yeah, I so. saw what their lives were like before. Yeah you know, foreign company, and it wasn't just foreign companies before economic liberalization, which yes, included sure. foreign investment, but also mm-hmm. included, you know, people being able to start restaurants out of their own homes yeah. or, you know, set up, low, you know, small factories. Mm-hmm. I saw what their lives were like before they had those opportunities. And it absolutely is an improvement. And, you, and they, you know, you can get a lot of Chinese people to, to come and say the same, say the very same thing. So, yes. you know, to sort of impose our, you know, high standards of living on on their lives and pass judgment on you know what their lives are like now it just it drives me nuts it's just a pet peeve of mine oh well no it's an important it's an important point to, to emphasize uh, as you probably know i mean ben powell for example has been uh, uh, who's a professor of economics who has written about this visited uh these places you know he the, the, the these are you know sweatshops by our standards it's it's sure. it's, it's really i mean in a way you and i should say well you know of, of course we want better things for these people you know if you want better things for these people write them a check but but patronize the, the companies they work for if they if they're asked would would you rather have uh you know more pleasant working conditions and a lower salary or or less pleasant working conditions and a higher salary they choose a higher salary would you rather work a 60 hour a week uh, and earn more money or 50 hour a week and earn and earn less they choose the 60 hour a week uh, and uh, uh, the the irony in this is that a very good essay. This is something, of course, Ben Powell likes to cite as well. A very good essay was written about this by none other than Paul Krugman. He, he, he's actually done, he's, he's written two decent things in his entire life. And that, was before, that was before he he joined the New York Times. You know, that, that sweatshop way, wages in sweatshop conditions is are better than, jo- jobs in sweatshop conditions are better than no jobs at all. And he's, it's not an edifying site, but, uh, but what are the alternatives for these people, you know, right. the, the alternative, as far as you and I are concerned, is that China should have gone capitalist sixty years ago. That's yeah. the best alternative. But unfortunately, we can't turn back the clock. And and of course, that this was at a time when when uh, when um, uh, Krugman was writing that there was a famous incident, uh, an infamous incident 
in which a, a, a factory employing child labor was shut down in Bangladesh because of the because of pressure from progressives, and uh, and and it was recorded that more than half the kids who lost their jobs went back into prostitution. You know, and that that right. that, that was something that Krugman was able to report. He said, "Wow, what do you, think, you you think these poor kids went back to school? Right. You, you, this is your middle class framework. They are struggling with grinding poverty. That was the reality." Uh, yeah. And uh, that's what they faced. And yeah. uh, so, indeed, it's it's an important point to emphasize because even to this day, when I when I get a whiff or read some article about working conditions in some of these factories, I think, my God, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't want to work there. Yeah, well, that's true. You, yeah, you you've have got other, other options. options. You have other options, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, but so it's 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 another painful. Uh, subject for for us to confront, uh, and uh, so it's much more than a, than a pet peeve. A pet peeve. Yeah. It's a very important point. The point the point though is that I I think that uh, that the uh, that the the uh, the employment of cheap labor abroad, the ability of multinationals to pay a premium to to the local workforce in places like China and in other poor countries as well has not been completely played out that I think that that's another uh, that still is then a disinflationary force that's mm -hmm. taking place. And uh, so for that reason, uh, uh, since we're talking about inflation, I guess we'll flip to my outlook. Uh, so I was going to ask forward, you next. Yeah. It's that uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure about, uh, and unfortunately, I guess that's going to be part of my answer to a number of questions about what's true going forward. I'm a little bit unsure about whether price inflation will really take off. Uh, I don't, I, I think that it's not going to be a big deal over the next year or so, partly because the unemployment rate domestically is still on, on the high side. There's still mm -hmm. a fair amount of, so to speak, surplus labor. So I don't think that, that the most important price, the price of, of labor is going to, is going to take off over the next year or so. But it's, so uh, for that reason, I'm reasonably confident about uh, thinking that conventionally measured price inflation is going to be, uh, is, is going to be muted. And by the way, I, I, I think uh, when when I mentioned that it overstates inflation, uh, I, I I I agree with the with the Boston Commission uh, report that to this day uh, the uh, conventional consumer price index overstates inflation by about a little less than one percent a year, and okay. and a little but a little less than one percent a year uh, does add up. Uh, when you're uh, when you're talking about uh, uh, conventionally measured inflation at two percent, so so nearly one percent a year. Uh, so it's, I mean, uh, so it's not an off the wall figure. If if price inflation goes to five percent, the same one percent haircut would apply. It'd be about four percent. But if you're measuring economic progress with a price index over twenty years, thirty years, then one percent does make a difference in terms of yeah. real progress. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's another aspect of it. But again, um, with respect to price inflation, I still think then that it may not take off, although two and three years out, uh, given the absolutely appalling and stunning uh, 
printing of money that's taken place. Right. I think at, at what point little, does that become yeah. the dominant factor? I mean, yeah. or maybe maybe you can sort of put into context a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Because I look at these numbers, I look at the the relief packages, <clears throat> kind of in the same way I was looking at the stimulus packages yeah. back in 2008 and saying, "Oh my god, this is this is unheard of. This is this is outrageous. We're, you know, it's it's Imperial Rome again and, you know, what's how can we possibly withstand this?" Can, can you put into context what mm. we're looking at now in terms of government spend, in terms of, you know, flooding, <laughs> flooding the world with more money? Well, well, it's, I, yeah, the, the, the context is, I guess, similar to, to what's been going on, which is that the, the, the money goes out there, the government gets it, but whether it actually, to, to the degree to which it ends up in the private economy, that that's a little bit of a wild card because bank, bank, banks hold on to it. They don't. Right. They, they don't right. rent it out, so that's that's the that's the unpredictable wild card in all of this. But and why I, I do they hold on to it? Well, I guess, I guess I, in a way, that's a good question that I can't completely answer. I guess they see fewer opportunities to lend. Uh, yeah, and uh, so so they're they're stuffed to the gills with loanable funds, but they don't quite have uh, the opportunities to lend. But I do want to then, however, shift to a couple of measures that I can at least put my put my hands around, uh, and which which does uh, indicate that the money is to some degree at least, going out there and causing bubble conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to mention two things. Uh, 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 conventional measures of bubbles in the U.S. economy, conventional measures of malinvestment. Uh, there, there are certain things that are uh, that you can at least track. One of them, uh, most conventionally, is the stock market, the price to earnings ratio, yeah. conventionally measured earnings to uh, the S&P 500, uh, the, the measure of the price index. Uh, I also look at the price to dividend ratio. Earnings, uh, estimated earnings, operating earnings are a little bit dicey to define. I'll, I'll accept how they're put together, but a harder number uh, uh, is um, harder in the sense of being more solid, I mean, is the actual dividend payouts, because that's that's actual right. cash that yeah. that the that the uh, uh, that the corporations that are publicly traded ha- have the wherewithal to send out, um, yeah. and so uh, you, I measure the price to earnings ratio, and that's that that's a measure that's conventional that's put out there, uh, and uh, and I also measure my own construct. I take the S and P five hundred and I divide it by by dividends. I actually take the dividend yield and just invert it. So. Uh, what I do then is I take the price to earnings ratio and I find something that's a little bit upsetting, which is that uh, that the last time uh, we had a huge sell-off in the economy that seemed to be caused by an inflated price earnings ratio was in 1999-2000, uh, when the market was really way overpriced and it was already beginning. It was recognized even by me at the time when I was covering the economy for balance. We couldn't predict once again when is when is the price collapse going to come, but we could see that the market was way overbought. The price to earnings ratio was just was around 30, weight much higher than these what people would. Say Say would be the the historical average of about twenty, and sure enough, uh, a huge sell-off did occur uh, in the in the stock market uh, in reaction to this uh, inflated price-earnings ratio. Well, uh, 
the uh, the uh, disconcerting fact is that we're now back at around 30 in the stock market mm. today. Okay. Uh, and uh, so we're looking at potentially bubble conditions in the stock market uh, and uh, that could cause. And I, I do think that in the ca- in the case of, you know, 99, 2000, the, the mild recession of 01 was caused by uh, much of it precipitated by that 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 measure of malinvestment, the 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 uh, the sell off in the stock market. Uh, and when you say and around so, thirty, are you are you talking about your own measure? The the no no the thirty the thirty is a very conven- is the conventional Standard and Poor's measure the price to operating earnings ratio. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, but uh, but then when I look at my own construct, which is the price to dividend ratio, yeah. I feel a little bit better. Okay. Why do I feel better? Because I don't like to look at bubbles. I don't like to have to predict <laughs> no. price collapse. Some people do like to do that. And I guess you'd say my my failing is that is that it's bad news from my standpoint. So I like to emphasize the the the, the optimistic, and maybe that's my failing. I have two, I'm I have an optimistic tilt, but I'm looking at the price to dividend ratio. Uh, and that's my own construct. And that, I can't give you an actual quoted number, but I, I posted my graph on my Twitter account. By okay. the way, my Twitter account is something people should follow. That's yes, Gene. I'm going to link to that. It's, it's yeah. at Gene Soloform, but okay. at Gene Soloform. And so I posted the price to dividend ratio, which again, if I, I guess the math is a little bit uh, hard to follow if I just mentioned it briefly. But if you, if you take the dividend yield and you simply uh, divide it into a hundred, then you get a you get the price to dividend ratio. It, it's just an easier thing to track intuitively how high are prices in relation to the dividends that are being paid. And I find that uh, that the price to dividend ratio is about two thirds of the way to the to the bubble conditions. Of okay. year 99, 2000. So it's not quite as high. But you see then that getting back to your question about how does this money get out there? Uh, yeah. I think that the money is getting out there. And in fact, it was happening in the 90s. The money was getting out there. The, the, oddly enough, you and I uh, had far less to complain about with respect to the actions of the Federal Reserve in the in the 1990s. But certainly, in my view, the Federal Reserve was indeed creating a bubble in mm-hmm. the stock market. And, I, and it's doing so now. Uh, and uh, so I, I trace it directly to uh, the, uh, the Federal Reserve. I do, And I do then insist that that's asset inflation. That is a price and that is asset inflation. And it's not measured in the consumer price index. So therefore, I see a reason to be quite disturbed about what's happening in the stock market. Uh, and uh, then on top of that, uh, the housing market. And mm-hmm. the housing market is uh, also uh, getting up to bubble conditions. And uh, there, uh, I guess, uh, since you were so honest to hold your feet to the fire about uh, making a wrong call, uh, I have to admit to my own egregious error in 06 and 07. Uh, I did uh, see that there was a housing bubble. I did perceive that the housing bubble was going to burst. I also perceived that it had burst by the middle of 06 and into Mm. 07, uh, that uh, clearly there was a collapse in residential investment. The prices of of houses were collapsing. Uh, but I uh, I then was impressed by the fact that in the year 07, uh, the non-housing portion of GDP was looking pretty robust. If you could take GDP growth, growth and gross domestic product, and back out the housing portion, at that point, the non-housing portion of GDP, which is most of GDP, was actually mm-hmm. growing a bit faster. 
Hmm. Uh, that that's been actually that's been revised slightly. It not wasn't growing a bit faster, but it was certainly growing at a fairly healthy rate even today, given the revised numbers. And so I thought that the housing bubble that would burst would be contained, that it wasn't going to bring down the rest of the economy. How mm-hmm. egregiously wrong I was, uh, it, it's possible that I was wrong, not so much about the fact that the housing bubble wasn't that terrible, uh, but that I was wrong about, I, I underestimated the ability of the Federal Reserve to make matters worse. Mm-hmm. And that by 08, the fact that they responded in all the wrong ways, they turned what might have been a very mild downturn or even a slowdown into the Great Recession. But I was wrong about that. I missed the Great Recession. So I really do have even more egg on my face than you have on yours, Brittany. So I want I want that note. But we're talking about the housing bubble. And now, uh, I guess, uh, since you're, uh, you followed me on the green eye shade look at the price to earnings ratio, I'll do the green, green eye shade look, uh, look on house prices. I, I, I take, I'm taking a conventional, I'm actually forgetting uh, this specific source. It's a very well-established source on the average house price and very, a very good number. It's an, it's a, it's an index on the house price. Okay. Uh, and uh, so that I take that index on the house price and I compare it two things. Number one, I compare it with price inflation, conventionally measured price inflation. And I take the, the, the personal consumption expenditures deflator, which I think is a better measure of price inflation uh, kept by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. And so I, I run it, I divide the house price index by the index of, of the personal consumption expenditures deflator. And, uh, and, uh, and then I find that the uh, that that uh, the bubble conditions uh, that were clear by 05 and 06 and the collapse in that index, uh, the index that I just constructed collapses by uh, by the middle to end of 06 and continues to collapse. And so that index signaled the collapse of the housing bubble. So uh, that I've just constructed the the the, the index of house price to the personal consumption expenditures deflator. And then now I find to my dismay, again, that the index is now, uh, as of December, in fact, the index is now on the same level that it was in the middle of 06. The, that index is wow. now at the same level that signaled uh, the, uh, uh, the the collapse of the housing bubble. Uh, wow. But but then uh, I have a second measure, which is just like the the price to dividend ratio isn't quite as bad as the price to earnings ratio. A second measure, which maybe is a little better, I take that same house price, and I bear in mind that that inflation uh, uh, this uh, past year has been a little bit distorted. You know, the, the, so many things have happened because of the uh, uh, the, uh, the the COVID lockdowns. Yeah, yeah disruptions maybe, to supply chains and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that PC is a little bit too low. So maybe it's making my price to PCE ratio look a little bit too high. So I I, I'm, I take instead a, a flawed measure as well, but the price to rent ratio. Mm. I take the mm-hmm. same house price, mm-hmm. and then I take the rental price that's in the consumer price index, yeah. uh, the price of renting. So you'd ask yourself, well, obviously, the cost of purchasing a house and renting a house 
uh, should have a certain balance between them. Right. If, if you can't make your mortgage payments by renting out your house, you've paid too much, in yeah, other words. that's one, exactly. Or, or another way of putting it is at least on the margin, people might make a choice between, uh, you, you you make a balanced choice in terms of your wherewithal or prospect, but, but if the cost of renting is very low, you may rent rather than buy. You might say it's better to rent. And of course, an awful lot of, in, indeed, you talked about, uh, you know, you renting your house. Indeed, it's often overlooked by uh, by many lay people that uh, that there are millions of, of detached homes that are rented. You know, people are renting mm-hmm. those homes. They don't they don't own them. So so therefore, the relationship between rents and 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 a purchase price of a home uh, are clearly have a lot to do with each other. And so, as you might imagine, when I took that ratio, price to rent, I once again found that by the middle of 06, it had gone into the stratosphere. The price of a home was was was, uh, was rising much faster than the than the cost of than the price of renting. Yeah. And so we had a, a very high ratio, uh, which was uh, signaling the potential for a bubble to burst. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. That price to rent ratio collapsed. The house, the price, the 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 price of homes collapsed much, much faster than than rents declined. And so we had a collapse in that ratio. Uh, Happily, so to speak, I'm finding that that price to rent ratio, that same ratio, is uh, about two thirds of the way to the bubble okay. level. Okay. It's not as bad, you know, okay. but we're getting there. And the point, <laughs> the point is, it's it, it's it's unfortunately fairly easy to predict that with these, with all of the money printing, with all of the, uh, uh, with all of uh, of uh, the uh, uh, the low interest rates uh, on mortgages. Uh, brought about by the Federal Reserve, uh, there's been uh, a, a, a big uh, pent-up demand for housing. Uh, it, there has been some a fair amount of supply-side response. They are building more homes. Uh, uh, residential investment is increasing, but not nearly as quickly as the demand. With that said, you would also say that, ironically, when we talk about Part of my theme is, has indeed been that there are always healthy and unhealthy things happening in the economy. There is a fair amount of healthy uh, uh, resurgence in home purchases because they, because a lot of people lost their homes, people were saving. So to some degree, people are buying homes because they didn't used to own a home and now they're starting to. And then more importantly as well, in terms of what's recently occurred, uh, we we're also talking about people moving out of cities and uh, then where they may be renting an apartment and now they're moving out to areas where it's more opportune to buy a home. And so that that's also, you know, that's what people are doing. So we would say that that's, that's legitimate fundamentals yeah. that are fueling the purchase of a home. But then we have all of these health unhealthy conditions as well that are fueling it. So uh, again, uh, you're, uh, you're, you're giving me a uh, rope to hang myself on all of these, nuance, <laughs> all of these nuances. But uh, my, my, my point is my bottom line is that, uh, that these two measures, uh, the price to rent, uh, these two measures of a housing bubble, and the second measure, uh, the one of the housing of of a of a stock market bubble, are clearly signaling something that's relatively disturbing. And the best bet is that these uh, these disturbing trends are going to get worse uh, over the next year or so. And so but we're not there. We're not at two uh, two thousand and six levels just yet. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, my little nuance is that is that 
uh, I have two measures of each, and in each case, yeah. one of them is at two thousand six levels, and the other is not. So it's close hoping, to like two thirds. And indeed, and in the case of the housing market, uh, we're talking about certain potentially healthy fundamentals that that we didn't really find in 06, That people are really are there is some pent up demand that's legitimate. There is movement out to. Uh, by the way. Uh, I, 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 I should elaborate on that movement out because I think it's good news in lots of ways. The, the, the movement out, which we've been referring to, is that uh, if it's really true and it's really permanent, I think there are good news aspects in it. But the movement out, of course, is the movement to, to Tulsa. The, mo- oops. the movement, sorry, the movement to Tulsa, the movement to Austin, the movement to Denver, uh, out of San Francisco and New York, to oversimplify, the movement to Miami, uh, the movement by people who can be remote workers, the relative recognition on the part of businesses that remote work can work. Uh, yeah. All of that is uh, is is good news uh, for um, lower income people because if those remote workers uh, do indeed achieve critical mass in many of these areas of the country, then they're gonna they're gonna look for hairdressers, they're gonna look for bars and restaurants, they're gonna look for house cleaners, they're gonna create work for people of limited skills, and those people of limited skills have been unable to afford uh, high wage and high rent cities like New York in San Francisco because mm-hmm. of the scourge of government policies that yep. keep uh, that yep. keeps housing so expensive. Yeah. So I think I think that there's a kind of a, a redistribution of, of the population to these outlying areas where uh, a lot of these people who are now going to rem- are remote workers are buying homes. So I think that's a favorable uh, trend. Uh, and uh, I hate to see some of my friends from Manhattan leave the city. Uh, I'm 76. It looks like I'm stuck here. Uh, but but I don't think it's such a tragedy. I don't. I think that if we allow the if in healthy conditions we allow the economy to come back, New York City is is still going to be New York City. It'll still be. I well, hope that's so. Well, it's it. Look, it was a pressure cooker. My my iPhone's a building, and 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 the rents were were, were going through the roof. Now yeah. the rents are more normal. They were, they were, it was unaffordable for people of limited means. So if if there's a ten to twenty percent reduction in population in some of these areas, it won't be so tragic. Uh, it will. New York City will still be be more or less what it used to be, and people will still come and visit for the shows. That's assuming that the local uh, uh, officials will continue to open up. The economy. Right. Uh, so so that leads into my next question, yeah. which is about so we're talking a lot about sort of the economy as a whole. And what you yeah. just said here was um, sort of more more of your optimism about well, about how how cha- these changes could be helping lower income people. But yeah. one of the things that we've seen, I think, kind of across the country, but especially I, I see it right in front of me here in California, yeah. is what appears to be a massive wealth transfer from small independent businesses yes. who are being crushed yes. by by these restrictions yeah. and also you know lower income people who don't have jobs that you can do on zoom you know cleaning hotels or, or you know there are, there are, there's a whole category of jobs that just doesn't transfer to online yeah. and so it, it seems like there's this tremendous wealth transfer mm-hmm. from small, independent, less wealthy to the state and to large corporate entities. Do, do you agree? Yes. Is that what you see? 
Absolutely, yes. <laughs> of course, <laughs> obviously, sure, N- indeed. Uh, and uh, you see, here you caught me in uh, in uh, you know emphasizing the positive, the fact that there well, are I'm glad there is trend- some positive. What? what? I'm glad there is some positive. Yeah, no, no, but of course you're absolutely right. Uh, what from what what you said, it's almost uh, you know. Uh, too obvious to belabor, but of course we should we should indeed put it out there. And uh, I mean, I have some progressive friends who are pointing this out, and every once in a while I ask them, "Well, then uh, you think the lockdowns are a good thing?" <laughs> that you know, it, it's, uh, indeed, uh, it, it, it's obvious enough uh, that uh, what you just said, which of course is that what I've called the Great Suppression. I wrote an article about this. Yes, uh, I saw in that April of last year, and uh, and and that that in in that case again, I I, I emphasized. That what was happening uh, was was not really a conventional Austrian business cycle downturn. It was simply what Murray Rothbard, whom I quoted, uh, in uh, who said that there are certain downturns that just are just because the king went crazy. You know that 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 he just mm-hmm. and indeed the king went crazy and yeah. we, sh- we shut we shut down businesses. It, it's not as though they were these, these were mal this was malinvestment that collapsed. It was just that you know you have a perfectly viable business but you can't operate it anymore because we've decided that we we need to lock the economy down and so my point at that time was that that if we've had a conventional uh, 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 great suppression of the sort that Murray Rothbard was talking about a non-austrian business cycle downturn that as soon as they start lifting the lockdowns we'll see some recovery although of course I allowed for the possibility that uh that they would uh, delay uh the reopenings for so long that they would kill st- uh, far too many businesses and to some degree that of course has happened mm-hmm. uh, that uh, the the great suppression has lasted longer than I expected it to last at the time, uh, and uh, and of course, as you uh, say so correctly, it's essentially shafted uh, small business. It shafted the little guy, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the the those of us who can do remote work have, have been generally okay. The large corporations uh, like Amazon, uh, Target has done fine. Some of them have suffered. Amazon has particularly benefited. Although, yeah. of course, w- with that said, given all the ironies of life, you and I, I'm per- personally happy that Amazon was there when the lockdown occurred, because it obviously meant a great deal to a lot of people to have packages delivered uh, remotely. Uh, and so that was indeed very important. But of course, it's been very bad news for uh, for people of limited means. Uh, and, uh, and of course, they were the ones who had to go out. They were the essential workers who had to continue to work, uh, and uh, at least by and large, uh, they were the ones who had to do so. But again, uh, as you uh, agree, uh, if the, if this has indeed uh, been uh, a, 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 a factor that has meant that more people are, are used to remote work, it was already a trend, but if this has jolted uh, us into that situation, then it it does mean a better, quote unquote, better distribution of the population throughout the economy. It does mean then that small cities like Tulsa uh, and uh, other cities like Miami, Denver, 
will benefit cheaper cities, cheaper to live in, uh, and that will mean then that there'll be more job opportunities for people of limited yeah. means. So they can move there because uh, we can hope and pray that uh, that that the lunatics in your state, Cal uh, <laughs> of California, will eventually understand that you have to have to allow housing to meet the needs of people. Uh, and uh, that uh, the lunatics in New York will ultimately recognize that, but they never will. And therefore, no, it's a they it's won't. a good it's a good thing that these areas of the country, Austin as well as I mentioned, are are benefiting because they uh, they allow affordable housing to happen. Right. And right. so. It's illegal uh, here. here. It's illegal yeah. in my state. Illegal, absolutely. And of course, I wish I wish that restrictive licensure could be lifted, that you no longer have to have to, you know, go to college to become a manicurist. Right. But well, I feel like so too. since you mentioned licensing, yeah, sure. I, I yeah. feel like this, and I know I've got I've got to let you go soon. We've already gone gone. Past no, no, I've got I've got a couple more hours, Brett. <laughs> okay. Oh no, once I get so, so it's just it's just that most of your listeners are probably getting a little tired. Yes, yes. Well we'll 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 bring it to a close soon. Uh, but I did well, just want to mention so I'll do my best for you, but good. Don't don't cut me off on my account. Just okay. on your listeners' account. Go ahead. Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. So to to me, something that has has really be it's always been it, it's been something that's been clear to me for a long time. But yeah. when you try talking to sort of normal non-Austrian, non non-libertarian people, yeah. um, it's like a blind spot, or or it's they're just not willing to look. But to me, this whole episode has really revealed how the power to license is the power to destroy, no. and that's been in medicine. It's been in you know hairdressing. It's mm -hmm. been with businesses. We've got a local business here, um, Tinhorn Flats. If anybody wants to go and support them, Burbank, California, Tinhorn Flats, go support them. Um, who has they they were refusing to abide by the lockdown orders. They stayed open and no. they've been serving. Serving people, we go whenever we can. Um, but the city, the city then revoked their license, revoked mm -hmm. their their, or rather, it's a conditional use permit, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, and we're seeing this. You know, this is just one example, but it's all over the country. We're seeing this how really businesses operate at the whim of their local governments, and yeah. <clears throat> it's it's yeah. not. There's, you know, this is. That's not a free society. That's no. not, you know, you're not free to do business. You're not, and it's not even, <clears throat> it's not even a matter of, well, you have to abide by the law. This isn't the law. This is someone's whim. This is Governor yeah. Newsom saying, unconstitutionally, by the way, and a court mm -hmm. has already ruled that, mm -hmm. saying you have to do this, you have to shut down, you have to have people wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. That's mm -hmm. not law. That's yeah. a dictatorial madman. Yeah. And so I think what we're seeing is that licensing is the tool by which these dictators control our lives. And it's, it's you know, I won't go into that here, yes. this here, but it's been a big issue with medicine too. It's been, they use licensing to shut down those who don't practice medicine the way certain interests would like. Um, you're, you know, well, that, yeah, I I wasn't fully aware of that. You're, uh, you, you're putting a fine point on something that I didn't sufficiently appreciate. And, and, and I do see your point. Of course, I mean, they, they, I just was thinking, well, they just shut you down through nightstick tactics, but that's a little bit more difficult. I, I will say, though, that, uh, for example, when, uh, uh, when there, uh, the, uh, there was a partial lifting of the lockdown in New York City and that restaurants were permitted as of a couple of weeks ago to uh, be open to 25% of capacity, uh, that very weekend I went 
to one of my favorite restaurants and found that it was about 75% full. Awesome. And, uh, and that uh, and that nobody was complaining, nobody was wearing masks. <laughs> As you know, the, the, the COVID respects it when you're eating. <laughs> right, exactly. Up, it notes to back off. And so... Uh, uh, you know the, the the saving grace, by the way, about the minimum wage and about a lot of these things is that it is difficult for the authorities to enforce certain rules and regs that people don't want to obey. But mm. uh, that's interesting. Your point about uh, using the power of licensing to crack down, and uh, uh, and of course, you and I have lived through this uh, appalling spectacle of, of even some of our libertarian friends accepting uh, the logic of locked lockdowns. Yeah, uh, and uh, yep. so that's indeed quite depressing. Although. Uh, you know, there's, I, I tell myself, because I'm always trying to look on the bright side, as you can see, that, that I tell myself that, you know, it, it, you know the, the fear of disease, you know, the fear of plague, you know, I'm, I'm, I've turned into a little bit of a hypochondriac. Three or four times a week, I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm coughing a little bit, I, I'm coming down with it, you know. So, uh, so in, indeed, we're all susceptible to that. And so uh, I make allowances a little bit for the, for the ways in which the government, uh, was able to instill fear in people about mm -hmm. disease, all of the convictions that people have about, well, I, I, I point out, look, I'm not going to die of COVID. I don't have any comorbidities. But then because mm -hmm. I get a lot of responses uh, from people who say that, well, yeah, but but if you catch COVID, you get lingering effects. You could lose your sense of taste, smell. You might be paralyzed in your hand. I know all kinds of stuff like that. And I just respond anecdotally. And I say, I don't see Trump uh, or uh, yeah. uh, suffering. Yeah. I don't see Chris Christie suffering. It seems like I don't see Tom Hanks, all of these famous people who have COVID, they, they seem to have gotten over it, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's the worst that's going to happen to me. I'm going to catch cold and uh, I'll be better in a week. But of course, uh, the, 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 the ways in which people's uh, fear of disease uh, can be magnified uh, is a way in which I make allowances for mm -hmm. their accepting these lockdowns. I only hope that uh, that maybe when the dust settles, then some of the fear will subside. Uh, we've, you know, we've, obviously we've lived through plagues uh, in the past, and and fear has subsided. So I'm hopeful about that as well. But but I, I guess since you're forcing me to wrap up, you want me to shut up soon. I, 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 I <laughs> well, I'm going to have to have you I, back I, I, on because there's obviously so much more. Okay, we but need I to just want about. to emphasize that I do buy a thousand. I even mentioning the figure, I buy a thousand dollars worth of gold every month. Okay. Uh, and I buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, although, uh, and uh, because I think that uh, that it's fairly baked in the cake. And here I'm going to make a very easy forecast that that ten years from now uh, the the storm clouds are going to come are going to come together. Nine years from now, eleven years from now, give or take. I'm making one of those easy forecasts. That'll be when I'm eighty six and not seventy six. Because uh, the one thing that we know uh, is going to happen is is in particular, for example, that uh, that the treasury debt is going to become is going to start crowding the federal budget. Uh, that uh, the the impetus for the Federal Reserve to print even more money is going to be uh, accelerated. Uh, that uh, that that the way the ways in which cheap labor abroad is taking the the edge off inflation is going to be completely played out. Uh, so I I go ten years down the pike and see that any anything that could 
get us to muddle through the next 10 years is going to be played out uh, within 10 to 12 years from now. And so uh, I'm buying Bitcoin and gold for that reason. But also, I see a lot of different risks, a lot of different puddles and storm clouds down the road in the next 10 years uh, because of what I mentioned, which is uh, we have two bubbles that are palpably forming just from the conventional measures. And and we don't know, of course, because we don't have Austrians who run the, the, the statistical mills, we don't know about other forms of malinvestment that are forming. And so I think that there are a lot of risks uh, to the economy over the next five years. With that said, I guess to wrap up my forecast, uh, the Great Suppression, I think, is being lifted, and there uh, there are very powerful forces that are coming back. If indeed the Great Suppression is 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 going to be lifted over the next six to twelve months, most likely it will. Uh, most likely, then we will see a lot of uh, businesses coming back, a lot of theaters, a lot of restaurants, a lot of casinos. It won't be like what it used to be, but there will be uh, a comeback in the economy. So I think that over the next year. So we're going to be looking at positive numbers for the economy, but second, uh, the second and third year out, I see more problems. I, I see. I think then that a collapse in the economy over the next twelve months is extremely unlikely. I think that things will be looking up, but a collapse and problems eighteen months, twenty-four months, thirty-six months down the road. There, I do get a little bit worried. And so you could say, look, if an optimistic slob like Gene Epstein is a little bit worried, the rest of us should be scared. All right. And so on that note, on that note, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I am going to have to have you back on sure. because I've got a whole we got through right. half of my questions. So um, so thank, thank you so much. Okay. And um, this should go up in the next in the next uh, few days. Um, okay. I'll let you know. I'll let you know as soon as it as it is. Pleasure, pleasure to spend time with you as always, Brittany, and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay.